Welcome to the Highly Sensitive Parenthood Podcast. I'm Amy Laginus, your podcast host and guide to not only surviving, but thriving as a highly sensitive parent. Together, we'll dive into common challenges of highly sensitive parents, hear from other HSPs and empaths about their experiences in parenthood, and learn to honor and celebrate our sensitivity, not only as parents, but as humans. Welcome. Trusting your intuition in parenting highly sensitive children. Well, welcome, Lauren Hunter. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, you professionally and what it is that uh, we'll be talking about today. Awesome. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a writer, communicator. I've been a PR consultant and an author uh, most recently. Mm -hmm. So um, have done a lot of things. I'm also a musician, which um, I always uh, did as volunteer in the last couple of years. I've gotten to do that more as a profession. So I'm wow. what they call a multi-potentialite. If you, I don't know if you've heard that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> She's like, uh-huh. <laughs> I have not, but that's totally me too. Um, I just, there's too many amazing, fun things to do in right. the world and it's hard to choose just one. So I'm right there with totally. you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm also a wife and a mom of four kids. So it's like, I forget mm -hmm. like the biggest chunk of time is sort of devoted to all of that. And so, yeah. um, but it is totally a part of my identity. And um, that's why we're here to talk about intuitive parenting and HSP kids and all that good stuff. Yes, yes. So um, you recently uh, did a guest blog and we'll be kind of expanding on that, on the topic of trusting your intuition in parenting highly sensitive children. Um, and I'm guessing we'll talk a little bit about that from the perspective of, I, I believe both of us also being highly sensitive parents, which is another sort of added factor in that. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to have you on to just kind of share a little bit more about your experience and share um, the, the things that you've learned along the way um, as a parent of Four, four children, is that right? And, yeah. um, and having your older children be, I believe, out of the house. So that's a different perspective than me. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and there's, I'm still very much in the thick of it um, totally. <laughs> as a mom. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for introducing yourself. And I'd love to spend some time um, just learning about how you discovered that you are a highly sensitive person, because that's not something it's not something that everybody knows about. Some people have some confusion about the trait. And I think for a lot of people, when it, when they find out about it, there's a sense of, ah, oh, okay. Like this clicks, I understand something important about myself and then can sort of take these steps to attend to, um, to my unique needs and my own unique strengths. So I'd love yeah. to hear what, what your journey was around. Um, yeah. I would love that. And that ties yeah. into another thing that I didn't mention, which is I, I've been a writer and a blogger and I started um, hspjourney.com, uh, I think about a year and a half ago. I have to look at the date when I, when I started it, but um, I am all about the journey together. I love that mm -hmm. as my author tagline. And so this journey, you know, it takes each of us like on our own path and you're going to have mm -hmm. different facets of things that you love um, to do and the ways that you serve people. Um, and so for me, um, definitely there was this intersection of understanding myself, as you know, and you've probably talked about many times, like us HSPs, like we, we have this like deep yearning to fully understand our identity. And mm. many of us like were not parented the way that we needed to be parented <laughs> as kids. Yeah. So there's a lot of like restorative repair, uh, therapy, trauma, mm -hmm. um, things that in my story includes some religious trauma coming out of a, a religious cult that I was raised in. And so mine is a little more like uh, complex, which is not like an official term, but you know, everyone understands that when you have multiple areas. So um, that intersection of identity and trying to um, parse out like who the heck am I and what makes me tick? And I, I think that seem, it seems to be that many HSPs are very, very interested in that um, and kind of the self-help and um, interested in the way our brains work and, and how we tick and, um, and then looking at the people around us and, and how we can interact with them and how we can achieve our goals. And, you know, it's multi-layered. So um, for mm -hmm. me, like I had done Myers-Briggs and was into that um, INFJ um, <laughs> that you learn, you're like this tiny little percentage. And then, uh, and then uh, always, 
professed to be sensitive, but it wasn't something people like, you know, you tooted your horn about it. I, I, I came up kind of in the generation where people, you know, you're too sensitive, like stop crying. You know, your dad's yes. telling you, you stub your toe and you're crying and shake it off, walk around the living room. You'll be fine. You know? Mm-hmm. And so many, many of us can relate to that. Um, kind of harsh, harsh parenting, typically from the dad, but it could be from the mom too. Um, and, uh, you know, had, had parents who were not especially tuned in to, um, you know, my needs, which is hard. Like it's super hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know, your kids are sensitive, I'm sure you have listeners who are like have sensitive kids who are not sensitive themselves. And then also yes. people who are sensitive and have sensitive kids. Like it's all hard. Mm-hmm. You could also, <laughs> none of you could be sensitive. It would still be hard. Like parenting yes. is hard. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Oh yeah. Amen. That is very true. Yeah. yeah. But different, so. you're, you're absolutely right. Different challenges and, and different strengths for parents who are highly sensitive and parents who are not highly sensitive, who are parenting highly sensitive children. They're, they both are valuable. They're both needed. And um, I think it's just about learning more about yourself so that you can, and, and learn more about your child so that you can make the, the connection and the parenting and the parenthood journey the best that it can be for, yeah. for everybody involved. Agreed. Agreed. So my story, I, um, I didn't come across the highly sensitive person trait and, and name until I was 40. Mm. So, um, and I'm 46. So that was six years ago. And, um, it totally rocked my world. It was like, oh my gosh, like, this is it. Like, this is the explanatory factor that I needed to stop doubting. Um, you know, I love, I love all the language around, um, uh, making sensitivity your superpower, um, yes. and, uh, kind of have a graphic on HSP journey with, um, nature and it says, be sensitive, comma, be free. Um, and so I love that sense of like, there's freedom in knowing who you are and freedom in being sensitive and that it doesn't have to be a hindrance. It doesn't have, you know, there are side effects, right. To the sensitivity traits, such as anxiety, which are big, you know, yeah. but, but once you learn that, once you learn, oh, this is how my brain works and this is mm-hmm. how, um, I'm reacting to things and getting those tools in place to know how to deal with that and know, what safeguards to put up for yourself, um, how to protect your energy, like all those things, it, yeah. you can shift something that one day it was the, the biggest thing, albatross dragging you down to the biggest thing mm. that makes you tick and who you are and can really, I think, ignite a new sense of um, powerful identity in you. And so that's, I like, I'm passionate about that with my kids, helping mm. them understand and not all of them are like super into like the the labeling yeah you know yeah. they're like one is like skeptical like I don't know she's the most sensitive of all <laughs> she's like <laughs> she's like I don't know about this label mom like why do we have the label and it's like my husband chirping in her ear yeah um, and I'm like uh-huh okay like let me right. know when you want a book to read and I'll yeah. uh you know I'll I'll share some <laughs> Well, I think so. in some ways it's, it's about reclaiming that too and yeah. reclaiming the word sensitivity. It reminds me a bit of the movement to reclaim the word fat. Um, and, and for, for people who, who say I'm fat and for many years when I was growing up, that was, Oh, you never like, do not say that word. You don't say it to someone else. You don't say it about yourself. That's wrong. And sensitive. I mean, it's not quite as culturally ubiquitous, but it's in the same vein of like, that's wrong. Like being sensitive is wrong. Like it's not, you should be something other than that. And, um, I've kind of been inspired by, by the movement of people claiming fat as an adjective about themselves and, and in the terms of, of sensitivity and being an HSP. And can we, can we follow their example really and say, Hey, I'm I'm sensitive and, um, not expect, this or, or what work with people when they have this sort of like knee jerk reaction of like, that's bad, including ourselves, including right. our partners or uh, family members and, and our own kids too, that maybe totally. there's some education to be slowly <laughs> done um, with the people around us about, Hey, sensitivity is, as you said, it's a superpower. It's a freedom. And yes, there are parts of being in the world that we live in that make it very, that can make it very challenging to be sensitive, but there's also so many gifts um, that we have to offer ourselves and, um, and the people around us and, and the world at large that, um, you know, sensitivity, one of my favorite facts about it is that it's actually evolutionarily conserved. So 
there's a reason why 15 to 20% of the population is sensitive because it is, has been helpful throughout human history to have a contingency of the population that has this level of sensitivity. It's good for humanity to have sensitive people. Um, and I love that. It felt very validating when I we learned probably that. probably kept people alive, like during the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> prehistoric era, right? Like we're hearing yes. the footsteps like 10 minutes before the, you know, the, the yeah. lions or whatever are like about to approach. That's exactly, like, that's exactly it. <laughs> I hear something. They're like, ah, oh, no, 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 really, really, they're coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's. Yeah. I mean, that's literally it. And um, you know, it brings me to another kind of fun fact, and then we'll get into kind of a little bit more of our, our mm-hmm. topics for today. But um, I'm developing this course for parents of highly sensitive children called "Supporting Your Highly Sensitive Child," and one of the one of the things that I bring up in it is how. Uh, parents or how, how highly sensitive children are more likely to do this pause and check behavior. They're more likely to want to observe, to kind of check it out, to weigh out the pros and cons, even from a very young age. And so um, they're less likely to jump into risky situations, especially shows up as for teenagers, but even for younger kids that what we might see as stop being so cautious, it actually has a, has a benefit to them and that they're not jumping into situations that are physically or emotionally um, risky for them as much as other kids might. And so, yeah, that much as we as, as adults um, can create a sense of safety and, and uh, security with, within ourselves and for the people around us that highly sensitive kids also have that sort of superpower that on the one hand, we could look at it and say, why are they like this? Can't they just be more courageous? Or why can't, why can't they just jump right into this like other kids I'm seeing? But on the flip side, you you see that they're really measured, they're conscientious, they're thinking things through, they're, they're self-protective. And so there's some real, um, real benefits to be seen there as well. Yeah, that's so true. Um, as, as my kids, so my oldest is 20 and then I go 20, 17, she's almost 18, uh, Mm -hmm. 15 and 13. And I go boy, girl, boy, girl. So, um, I've had like, I'm almost through like all the kid, every gender and every phase. Like, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. call me. No. Um, <laughs> I do coaching as well. I know you do. Coaching yeah, oh, cool. um, but uh, uh, it's so interesting because, um, you know, even though it was only six years ago, like a lot of things, I think we HSPs, like even before you know much about it, like you, if you do have a good sense of yourself, like, you know, how you parent is sort of innate. Um, or you're looking, you're very, um, very aware of like gathering intel and look, you know, reading books and taking what you need out of one book and taking what you need from another, you know, resource or podcast or whatever, and kind of amalgamating this, um, way that you parent it sort of, I think happens innately. It's not like something that you just, you're picking off a menu. Um, but I love that in terms of choices. Like I've learned some, some takeaways that I've learned with my own kids with pause and check and being careful is number one, not to ask them to make a decision about something instantly. So, you know, as well as I do, it's only with five and eight year olds, um, the, the activities and the activity level, you know, just skyrockets from here on out. And so yeah. you have a kid who likes to play soccer. Well, then you have a friend, another parent who says, oh, do they want to try out for the comp team, the competition team? Well, whoa, pa- pause and check, pause and check. Yeah. Um, every sport has a competition level that is rec. There's recreation <laughs> level. That's a normal amount of activity and practices. And there's yeah. a competition level. So over the years, as, as the kids have had, you know, even dance has a regular level and a competition level. So we've paused and checked through that and been like, okay, you know, one will say, I want to do soccer. Okay, great we're going to do rec soccer. Like if you find that you love this, we will look into competition if you want to, but we'll evaluate it. And just having that, that mantra, like, and this is good for us as HSPs with boundaries, right. To not say yes immediately to some new opportunity as it comes in, like pause and check, like take it in, review all the time constraints, review what's going to happen, and then make a level-headed, you know, decision, which is hard. Sometimes we don't want to make, we, we make it emotionally, emotionally charged decision, but that backing up and going, okay, like I'm going to write down all of the things that would be required if my kid does comp soccer, and I'm going to write it down. I'm going to leave it in this notebook on my desk and I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to sleep on it and look at it. And then I'm going to talk to my kid. We're going to talk about it. And then a couple of days later, we're going to talk about it again and like, see where they fall. I found that yeah. to be super refreshing because honestly, mm-hmm. often it's the kid who says, 
I don't think I want to commit to that level. Like I like the lower level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's so funny that you, that you mentioned that because my, my eight-year-old who's my highly sensitive kiddo just did that with, um, with guitar. So he does soccer and he does guitar and actually he does, he does competitive soccer, but it's because he loves it. He cannot get enough right. of it. And my Which is awesome. Totally. He's, my husband's into it. And he's like, I, like, I will take him to all those practices. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I can't handle that. But as long as you guys are both fully on board, that's fine. But he was doing guitar for a while, which I thought was a great little <laughs> HSP activity. And he's, he kind of was like, you know, mommy, I like this, but um, I kind of need a break from it for right now. And ooh, it was a little hard for me to let go because I love music and I am a musician myself. And, um, but I learned, I, I paused and I was like, I need to listen to what he's telling me. And he's saying he needs a break. He can come back to it. Doesn't mean he can't even just pick it up, you know, on his own occasionally, but the lessons a couple times a month was too much for him on top of the other things he has going on. And so I love what you said about just listening to your, your child's wisdom too, especially I think once they hit kind of that school age and they're really able to be aware of their own needs. If you slow down and, and collaborate with them about what do we want? What do we want to spend your time? That's a great word. That's a great word to like stop and pause for a second. Just go um, like collaborative, that maybe doesn't sound that great. You're not asking a bunch of parents to like collaborate on your parenting, but collaborating with your child to give them some agency in their life. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. like authoritative parenting is like, that's probably the worst style to like try to meld if you're an HSP. And if you grew up with that and you might feel like that's the way you have to parent, but, um, really that collaborative, because once you treat Mm -hmm. your child, not treating them like an adult, like get the checkbook out. Let's pay some bills. Not like that, (laughs) but like treating them like this is my husband. My husband's a high school teacher. And so we, um, we both feel this way. Like we talk to our kids, like they are smart, valuable people, Yeah. whether they're six, nobody's six anymore, but even (laughs) when they were six and now they're, you know, young adults, um, you know, that's, that's how they become good decision makers. Mm-hmm. eventually. Cause okay. like, we're not just raising. And I think it's hard sometimes to lose, you lose sight of that, especially like me, I had a bunch of little kids, you know, a couple of years apart. And so you lose sight sometimes that the end goal is this well-adjusted adult who becomes mm-hmm. an adult friend, you become a parenting coach. And then mm-hmm. that parenting coach, you eventually become a parenting friend where you are more of an equal with your kid. And there's, you know, that's probably 30, 30 or up, but my 20 year old, you know, I verbally said to him as he's in his second year of college, but I verbalized the things that were hard for me as I was trying to learn to let go. And, um, but I said, you know, I'm going to make mistakes at vulnerability, you know, being an HSP parent with an HSP kid. I think that they really appreciate that vulnerability Mm -hmm. and being able to, um, you know, I, I blew up, I I had a medical procedure. My daughter also had a uh, strained uh, ligament in her foot. And so the two of us, we joke, we had two good legs between the two of us. (laughs) I blew up on her the other night. She's 17. Like she just didn't, she didn't always read the room very well. And um, I was in the middle of something and I was in a lot of pain. It was the end of the day. And I like went up to her room, you know, later that night, I was like, Hey, I blew up on you. I'm so sorry. Like I was exhausted. I was in pain. I was answering an email that was making me cranky because of the situation with a work thing. And she's like, Oh, I get it. Like we have had to do that so many times with each other. Um, and I don't know if you sense that with your eight-year-old, but, um, there's, there's more, I think there can be more conflict sometimes when we are wired Mm -hmm. very similarly with our kids, especially if it's the same gender and, sensitivity. Um, and depending on how high strung, you know, I feel like there's, there's, um, there's not a good, like there are some quizzes and I have some on my website about the scale of which you're, you know, what level of sensitivity, because there are some really super high functioning extroverted HSP people. You couldn't probably pick out that they, um, have some of the same challenges because they, you know, everyone is wired. So even though like, y'all listening, you know, even if you have the same Myers-Briggs and I found this with coaching clients too, same Myers-Briggs, uh, same HSP, a lot of other things common, totally different personalities. Like it does not exactly tell you like 
what their personality is like. like it is a personality mm-hmm. trait, but there's so many nuances and so many unique yeah. individuals out there. And that's true of our kids, right? So you can take, you can pick and choose some of the HSP um, language, uh, you know, teachings and things like that. You can kind of look at your child and see like, okay, are they over processing? Are they over, do they have, are they especially like, I have one who's um, especially sensitive to sound. That yep. is his heightened uh, superpower. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not, he's not a musician. It's, it gives him headaches. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to check, I have to check in with him about certain things when I can tell he's like morphed into this grouchy version of himself. And I'm like, what's going on? Are you okay? Oh, it's, oh, it's a headache. Oh, go mm-hmm. up. Like you get a free pass, go up, tap mm-hmm. out, go in your room, be quiet. Yeah. You don't have to participate. You don't have to, you know, you just have to know what, what's making them tick. So, yeah. So do you want to talk some about the intuition um, elements that go with that article? That yeah, I read? yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So I feel like we kind of like organically talked about some of the, some of the challenges, some of the gifts yeah. of, of having a highly sensitive child. And I love that you just named that, you know, kids are unique and, and, and parents are unique too. Right. So part of the intuition, I think will be just uh, coming at parenting and parenthood from that framework that, it's not a one size fits all journey. And, um, and that part of it is getting to know yourself as a parent and your own needs. And part of it is getting to know your unique child and observing them and helping them put names to their feelings and their needs over, over time. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you, you sharing kind of the, your own experiences with, with the challenges and the, the wonderful things about being a parent to an HSP. Um, but yeah, let's move into some of the, um, the, the intuition piece um, and, and moving, you mentioned in the, the blog that you wrote about move, needing to move away from comparison and needing to move away from um, kind of exclusively looking outwardly for solutions. And that's not to say that, I mean, we're here, we are talking about it. Like hopefully this podcast is, is helpful. Yeah, it's you, a resource. Right? Like, this podcast like is a resource. Yes. Right. So, so definitely not like abandoning out, outside resources or supports, um, but just I taking it with a grain of salt, you know, and, and learning that you're going to hear professionals, you're going to hear, um, writers, you're going to hear podcasters telling you things that probably are going to be vast spectrum of, Hey, this is how you should do it. And that I think one of the most important things is, um, you know, knowing when to disregard, (laughs) knowing when to say that might've worked for you, but that's my child's different. Um, or our situation is different and we need to do things in this way. And, um, I think especially if you are a parent who's highly sensitive yourself, that I've noticed HSP parents tend to be really, tend to really hold on tightly to what other people say is the right, right way in quotes to do things and have a really hard time um, just listening to themselves, even though, and I'm sure you'll get into this, but the, even though their intuition is usually so powerful, it's hard for them to actually mm, follow through on it because there's so many, there's so much noise coming from outside about what they should be doing. Um, yeah. You bring up a really, um, interesting and valid point. There something that I've thought a lot about too, is, um, uh, boundaries. So, um, I, I feel like I've been working my whole adult life to like reclaim, uh, boundaries, um, Mm. or relearn or understand better boundaries. And there is like a lot of, um, Intel about like HSPs not having the best boundaries. Mm. Um, I know Julie um, Jelland has done a ton on that. Um, but it's still like, even though I've read a lot of things like that, it's still coming together for me in my mind, like as to why. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking that Perhaps one of the reasons is, um, and this is a superpower, but maybe this is the negative side of that superpower where, um, and this served me well, really well with um, public relations clients when I started out in my career, um, because I could get into the head of people. So that ability to like jump inside someone, you, you feel their energy, you, it's, you can't even really talk about how you do it, but it's like getting like ghostwriting for someone. Like I would ghostwrite for these executives and I would not get to spend a whole lot of time with them, but you know, you amalgamate all of these, you know, the, the website copy and the press release and you talk with them, then you have a meeting with them and you get all of this information and then you sort of regurgitate it in their voice. And Uh so that happens, um, naturally, um, Mm -hmm. and it's not something you can, 
Yeah. Yet that empathy. Yeah. So it's like, so I don't know, it feels like something related to that ability to like yes. tap into the brain of someone else that makes us feel like as we're listening, even to a podcast and we mm-hmm. hear people talk and we, we resonate with a couple of things. And then we think, Oh, my brain does this. I don't know if yours does. I'm just like them or they're just like yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes if you're already thinking in that mindset and then you get to a point of um, recommendation where it's maybe not going to fit your family, you're like thinking, Oh, they're to- we're totally simpatico. Like we're totally, this is totally for me. Um, and so I think that trying to figure that out, like, Oh, I can be, I can be, um, I can relate to five or six things this person has said. Um, and I've even felt that with you as we're talking and communicating. Oh, this is somebody who gets me. Oh, this is somebody who, um, you know, shares similar interests. And that doesn't mean we're naturally going to agree on every single parenting style or, um, you know, coffee selection or whatever, whatever music <laughs> choice or whatever. Right. So, but there is that natural innate sense in me to like um, link up with someone and then mm-hmm. feel like, oh, we have to have everything in common. And we don't like we can have two, and this is true for anyone. You can have two or three or four things in common with a resource or with a person or with a group. And you could say, oh, I, I appreciate these three or four things, but then there's two or three things that I really don't like and don't agree with. And that's okay to live in, you know, accept the tension of those things. That's where yeah. I'm working on um, improving because the tension I'm not so good with. Um, yeah. I, I feel like peace and harmony all the time in every corner of my life should be the way that we're all (laughs) aiming. But that as I get older is not a reality. And so then experiencing tension in a couple of areas, even with kids, even when you're like, Hey, I think this is best for you. And that's another area that's super hard for HSP parents because we want to link. We want to feel connected. And when you have to discipline, there is a disconnect, like it, can disconnect you for a little while. That's where, you know, you have to drop the hammer on someone who isn't following through with whatever you ask them to do. Like don't bend over backwards and let them get, you know, their kids, kids have to learn how to be obedient. Um, So you can have that tension. And that's where like that relationship with your, your kid, like you can be their parent, love them hundred percent, appreciate their sensitivity. You can be mostly sensitive to their needs. And at the same time, you can say, but you also need to go to bed by 8.30. The light needs to oh, be out. Yeah. Or there'll be a consequence tomorrow. Ooh, no, no screen time tomorrow. I held that over one, one kid. Love SpongeBob. <laughs> no screen time tomorrow after school uh, yeah. before she got a phone. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's very nuanced and, and it is complicated, but I don't want to say the word complicated like oh, be, be afraid. Um, cause there's beauty in, in complicated things, you know, yeah. and our parents experience that with us and we in turn get to, it's a privilege, right. To parent, yeah. parent these kids. Um, it doesn't last forever. So, I mean, if you're, you're sitting here thinking, oh, it's, <laughs> I remember five and eight, Yeah, you're thinking I've got a lot of ele- elementary school years in front of me. Um, yes. Yes, it, it does go elementary drug on for a little, little while for me because I have four of them go through, but uh-huh. um, it does speed up. Something happens uh-huh. and it speeds up. So all the foundation and the groundwork that you're laying with your kids. And if you're listening, you know, you've got toddlers and uh-huh. you don't even know if they're sensitive yet. Like, gosh, uh-huh. just favor these moments because they go really fast. Um, they uh-huh. don't always want to climb in bed and snuggle with you. So yeah, when they're 20, <laughs> it's not appropriate so anymore. True. Yeah. Yeah. Although my, my eight-year-old HSP still loves cuddles. I'm like, yes, it's happen forever. I don't know. Keep it up. Oh Keep it up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, you know, you, you mentioned kind of, um, th- this tension, which is something that I hear from, especially non-HSP parents that I'm friends with or one that I'm married to, um, around this, well, we don't need to, we don't want to cuddle. We don't want to like, what if he, what if he can't control his crying and then he gets bullied or what if he doesn't know how to manage, um, I don't know, manage his emotions. And so that's something I've been really reflecting a lot on, especially as I've been developing this course is, um, this tension between accommodating your child's sensitivity and, and, um, nourishing their needs and responding to their needs, especially when they're little, little, but then as they kind of get into this, I'd say like older preschool and and school age in particular, um, 
there's also this need to build resilience and, and to build um, and to kind of push back and to shape them a little bit. And how do we do that with, I mean, that's a whole other podcast episode, but. Totally, um, <laughs> but it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant topic. And I, I an example um, that popped in my head is um, uh, being at a fast food restaurant with um, the oldest, the oldest one I wrote about in this article, because mm-hmm. he was a super high need baby who is now not that, not that he doesn't, think that he's an HSP. I, I still kind of think he is, but uh-huh. uh, he uh, he manages his his stuff just wonderfully. Um, but we were at a fast food place and I think maybe the age range was like 10. We're probably at In-N-Out. I'm thinking it was In-N-Out. Mm-hmm. It's lunchtime. So that's, <laughs> that came to mind. Um, you know, but there's there's times when um, you're, you encourage your child to advocate that for themselves in very simple ways. Parenting yes. 101, send your kid up to the counter to ask for a fork, to ask yeah. for more ketchup, to ask, you know, a bigger request would be something is wrong with their burger. They need to mm-hmm. go up and ask the manager to fix mm-hmm. their burger. Um, mm-hmm. And so for the longest time, he refused to do that. And I think he was maybe 12 by the time, mm-hmm. 12 or 13, which is kind of late because mm-hmm. most like late elementary school kids, like, um, you know, they should, they should feel like they could go up to an adult in a safe environment yeah. and ask for what they need. Um, but he took longer, but once he, you know, that there were pause and checks over many years. And then once he felt like he could do it, he never needed my help in that area for, again. Yeah. I feel like that is such a, I don't know that it's talked about too much, but that's such an HSP kid. It's a strength of HSP kids that when they do that pause to check, you're like, Oh, come on, come on. Like as a parent, sometimes we have that internal monologue of like, can you just, am I doing it wrong? What am I failing at? Why won't they, what's wrong with me? Why, what you, me, 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 no, it's not you. (laughs) Right. And ideally we don't communicate that too much to our our kids or our frustration, but you're so right that when this it's common that once they actually feel, reach that level of confidence, they kind of don't look back and they just kind of can cruise forward with it um, in that particular skill set for a while. And so it's, it's something about um, building, you know, we talk about like window of tolerance, building out their window of tolerance, slowly, steadily, not pushing them so far outside their comfort zone that they're going to become overstimulated or they're going to become, um, they're going to dig their heels in and, and right, right. frustrated. Or have, a, or, or have a panic attack or an anxiety right. attack, um, which yeah. that happened to one of my kiddos um, at this big giant Girl Scout event. And it, you go from, mm-hmm. you know, they need, these kiddos need, um, prep. They need preparation. So in theater and in dance, um, you never go out and perform on a stage that you haven't practiced on. So like you have tech rehearsals. So my girls did, Mm -hmm. did theater. Um, and you have like six nights of tech rehearsals in costume on the same stage by the time you get to the sixth time you've gone through it. So it's like, you're, you're building up that tolerance to the environment yeah. by the time you get to like, okay, there's people in the crowd. You have done it so many times. Yeah. You're not afraid of it. Um, and yeah. so that's, I mean, that can be true of other things, but um, you know, think of yourself as a parent or not even as a parent, think of yourself just as a person when you you've been thrust into an environment that caused you mm-hmm. like initial, like awful anxiety to well up in some way, yeah. like whether it was as a kid, like going to high school for the first time and going to a class or, you know, whatever that environment is. I think those are important like memories to bring up as you're parenting um, to think about, wow, I, I totally had those same moments and you might even feel like you can share a little bit with your, your child. It helps mm-hmm. them a lot to know that you've experienced the same kinds of anxiety mm-hmm. or peer pressure or whatever the thing is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some, some adults I know today will not go advocate for themselves if something is wrong in a public place, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, just a wall that they, they would never, you know, go sure. up and talk to a manager at a restaurant if something was bad or whatever. So, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of valuable ways you can, you know, get more tools to help yourself and help your kids at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, as you were talking about the, the burger, the in and out situation, it reminded me, I'd totally forgotten about this, but as a teenager, my mom, I remember I was probably 14 or 15. And she said, Hey, um, uh, I'd like you to call the doctor to make your doctor's appointment. And I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Like, no, <laughs> I was dug my heels in. I was so, so desperately uncomfortable for me to do that. And yet I'm like, as an adult, like that's something I, I need to, I need to do it regularly. Right. Like it's, it was a critical skill 
for me to build, to hop on the phone. And some of it was like phone anxiety and some of it was talking to adults. It was all mixed up, but I needed to learn that. Like I I needed to learn it before I was like launched into adulthood is this ability to, (laughs) to pick up the phone. Totally. Totally. That's where like that, that coach hat. So, you know, people listening, you know, you, you, you can, and you can even do this when your kids are elementary and definitely middle school. It's like middle school is a huge transition from like, you are parenting them and scheduling all of their hangouts. And, you know, they, I got told, I got told mom, don't call them a play date anymore. It's a hangout. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That means you can do it yourself. Right. Uh, But there's this period where you are doing some of it for them and encouraging that, you know, and uh, one of my kids is not super out, like her comfort zone is not initiating things. And, Mm. um, then I feel sad if she didn't initiate and nobody has scheduled something with her. And so I just, I just try to prompt, you know, like, Hey, what are you, are you thinking, do you have any plans, you know, Mm -hmm. Friday night? Oh, well, what do you think? Are you, is there somebody you want to hang with? Like you could text Mm -hmm. them, you know, and Mm -hmm. that doesn't still doesn't always work, but, um, yeah, letting them, you know, have some some choice in what they do and who they reach out to. But you also are kind of like ready to jump in if you need to, because yeah. um, you still, you know, communicate with parents, even um, even actually with with uh, high school kids. Like we we have a great community, and um, you know, I'm friends with some of the parents of my kids' friends, and so that's really valuable too. If you you know can kind of be family friends with some of their friends. And when some of these issues, there's a lot more issues, right? Teen and tween um, issues that come up. But uh, sometimes if you know another parent who has a sensitive kid, you can sort of collaborate and like encourage the kids to do some things together to get out of their comfort zone. Um, And that's, that's kind of interesting as well. Yeah. And you know, that that brings me to, you know, thinking of parents of of younger kids too, um, that, that's one way to, to tap into or to honor our intuition as highly sensitive parents or parents of highly sensitive kids, even that our experiences might be unique. I mean, everyone's parenting experiences are unique, but when we can connect with other highly sensitive or parents of highly sensitive kids, either way, we get a sense of, Oh, like there's other parents that are doing things that look more like what I'm doing than what I'm seeing, you know, on social media or out in the world where I'm seeing, um, you know, this other mom who's taking her kids out on outings every single day of the week. And that doesn't work for me. And I feel bad about that, but, oh, there's this other parent over here. Who's also doing that, who feels the same way. And I feel like that's one of the things, one of the reasons why connecting with other um, HSPs or parents of HSPs is so helpful is because it gives us, it gives us permission in some ways, or it gives us more permission to, to follow our intuition. Cause the intuition is there, right? Like you, you mentioned that several times in the blog that your intuition was kind of a, um, like a through line in your parenting, but it took some practice. And I totally resonated with this. It took some practice to actually follow through with it. Um, and to, it's into discard some elements of parenting, um, or, or some parenting advice, or it reminded me of, there's a book about, I think it was about breastfeeding that I read before I had my first kid. And it was so intense. I did end up breastfeeding both my kids, although it wasn't an easy journey, but it was so prescriptive and so rigid and so intense. I literally, I think I literally threw it. I think I recycled it. I'm eco-friendly. But I, was like, <laughs> I, was like, I just had, I had a flash of reading Jack Kerouac <laughs> in college. And I think I threw the book across the room and that's what, cause there's like no punctuation. And so it was like a similar response to like, there has to be some rules or there, there, there has yes. to, like, it just can't be too it much either way, too rigid or too yes. permissive. And, and that's a good way to kind of approach parenting. You don't want to be too rigid sure. and you also don't want to be too permissive. Like the middle road is a good, safe place. Sometimes you yeah. say no. Sometimes you say yes. Um, I had right. somebody else say to me, they say yes to their kids whenever they can, hum- they can, like, that was their mantra was like, mm-hmm. I can do it. If, well, I'm like, that bothers me a little bit because mm-hmm. like we needed these kids to be able to do stuff for themselves. So I'm not going to constantly pick up for them, yeah. even though I could do it because I'm going to resilience building piece back of it. myself don't into want to a messy closet, you know, um, that I am, con- that's a sore spot. Um, <laughs> okay. I thought of another issue, um, or another example, and I didn't put this in the article. Um, 
but it's the same kid, uh, the, the oldest <laughs> kid. So um, he was born in November and our school system at the time cut off the date to start kindergarten at December 1st. But my oh. husband teaches high school. So he sees kids, he sees the boys and he's a coach. He sees the boys when they are in high school and they start too early when they're 13 turning 14. So he was like, we will start our kids late. The boys start our boys late, not early. Um, And I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. And I like, I was like, I really have to trust you because I don't know about this. So because we chose that he did um, like the four or five preschool when he was, you know, just turning four. And then he had this weird gap year and we, we didn't agree. It was our church's preschool. It was three days a week. It was a little expensive. I had just had baby number three, baby number three. So baby number three was born in August. Preschool started in August and my husband wanted him, the older uh, five-year-old to do preschool again, the same class because Mm -hmm. there wasn't another good option. He's like, he can't just stay at home. Like, what are we going to do? So two weeks, first two weeks with nursing baby number three, stuck Mm. in the parking lot, nursing, driving. It was a 20, 30 minute drive there and back. By the time you turn around, you go back. I was miserable. And I was like, what are we doing? And oldest Mm. kid comes home on like the end of the first week or maybe end of the second week. says, mommy, this is the same class that I just did. Everything is exactly the same. He's like, Mm. I don't, I don't think I need to do the same class over again. I don't want to do it anymore. And I was like, are you serious? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really need to do this anymore. I already did it. I was like, (laughs) Oh, you need to tell daddy. You need to tell daddy. (laughs) So um, he did. He, in his own words, told daddy that it was the same exact preschool class and he really didn't want to do it. And I worked part-time from home and had a part-time nanny that came in a couple mornings a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was from a homeschooling family. So she was fully equipped to bring out the workbooks and mm-hmm. stuff. So my husband let us quit the preschool. I was like, oh, <laughs> so happy, so happy. Um, and, but we really trusted our five-year-old. Like he yeah. verbalized what he needed and yeah. it was what I needed, but I didn't tell him I didn't I did prompt him tell me why you didn't like you know I didn't try to extrapolate that from him I just asked him how it was going and Mm -hmm. so that was a really great example of like it was intuitive in me but I was honoring my husband and what he wanted and the kid is the one who had all this wisdom and knew what he needed and we listened to him so Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a great story, and I I think I love that it was it was actually your child's intuition that uh, that came up, and that how often that's the case if we if we tune into it. Um, and you know, not that we're always right as HSPs, but our intuition is really I think it's one of our biggest gifts. I I think um, yes. as HSPs, and um, I I don't know that I've ever had an HSP tell me as when any of my clients tell me, gosh, my my intuition really led me astray. It's I've only ever heard the opposite and I've really only ever experienced the opposite where I thought, why didn't I just listen? I knew that wasn't the right choice. And I usually it's, it's people pleasing or it's, ah, it's like the shoulds or other people are doing it this way. So I should probably also do that. And it's only in retrospect that I'm like, I really, if I would have just listened to what my body and my mind were telling me about this, it would have been so much smoother. And so I think that's, to me, that's one of the, the biggest, um, I guess challenges or learning processes for, for highly sensitive parents or, or kids. And it's something you can help your child to develop is when they have that intuition. Again, it's not that it's totally infallible or that you need to bend over backwards to accommodate um, at all their wishes, but that when they have a sense of like your child did that, this is, I don't need to do this again. Um, this doesn't feel right to me. Um, or like, like my, my son did with the guitar. I need to take a break from this that, um, you know, we work through our own stuff if we need to. And then we say, okay, like, let's, let's try that out. And let's see, it doesn't mean that we need to make that decision and that it, we never go back and try again. But, um, but that for now, let's, let's see how that, that works. And it's a, it's a lesson in um, both trusting your intuition as a, as a parent or as your, as your parent, as your child's parent. Um, 
but it's also about setting boundaries, I think, too, and, and listening to your own voice and your own needs when a lot of HSPs tend to kind of go the other direction and ignore their own needs and in lieu of attending to other people's needs and preferences. So it really is a valuable um, practice to, to tap into our intuition and to do what we can to honor it, um, whether for ourselves or for our kids. Absolutely. Um, and I, I totally agree and would add another layer that um, encouraging your kids, even at a pretty young age, to listen to themselves and their their intuition. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's hard to, you know, explain. I, I love the explanation of like the, the, the gut being the second brain and kind of mm-hmm. like, because, you know, you use that metaphorically like your gut, but then your actual gut is, is what they call a second brain with the most nerve. I forget how many nerve endings in your gut, but it, um, your head and your gut like work in a connected way. And that's, that's why, you know, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, you know, we have have some of that in our family and you, the anxiety hits and it affects you physiologically. Um, but so that's super interesting, but listening, listening to even like making a new friend, um, you know, and you can have a gut reaction, but then, you know, encouraging them to listen to that. Uh, but also like navigating relationships seems to be one of the biggest coaching areas with my kids anyway, as they've gotten older. And so some of it is this combo of listening to the intuition about themselves and their own feelings about another person. And then also using their um, sensitivity to maybe ascertain whether or not that person is having their own stuff. Sometimes we can misread or we have intuition, but it's um, the Mm -hmm. dial is off Mm -hmm. a little bit because that person might be having mental health challenges or family drama challenge. Like we've had some of this. And so we've had to, we've had to talk through like, okay, well, what, you know, think back, did you do anything? Or do you think that they are having some stress? And sometimes it's a combo, but sometimes Mm. you need to ask, get in there and and ask them, you know, be Uh transparent. That's hard with, with teen age kids, because they don't want to share vulnerably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But the boundaries that what's my like the picket fence around my house, like what, what are the things that I'm responsible for? And so as I've learned all, you know, things through my own life, um, I try to share them with my kids, like a little nugget sizes is like, okay, what, what's, what's in your yard that you can be responsible for. And if the the other person is like being mean to you or, um, acting crazy and you don't know what caused it, like you, you can ask them, but at at a certain Mm -hmm. point you are responsible for you and your feelings and your emotions. And you might need to just pull back a little bit and pursue another friendship. And that's difficult too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is really challenging. Yeah. I think adding on to that a bit too, is, um, I, I once had a client ask me, well, how do I know if it's, if it's my anxiety talking or my intuition? And I was like, wow, what a, what an excellent question. And, you know, not something that we can tackle, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> today, yeah. but I just wanted to, to kind of add that into the conversation that, you know, if your anxiety is really active and kind of bubbling up quite a bit, that sometimes your intuition, like you said, the, the dial can be off a little bit. And so, um, I always think about intuition as, uh, it shouldn't create a lot of feelings of anxiety or resistance that it's really sort of like a deeper inner knowing of this is what I should do. And sometimes we don't know why often we don't even know why that particular answer or that particular path forward is, is the quote, right one for us. Um, but that anxiety tends, you know, the anxiety response and those thoughts tend to bring a lot of fear and a lot of, um, uh, just uh, catastrophizing, thinking the worst possible scenarios, whereas your, your gut, your intuition, um, is, is kind of a, a North star. It's, it's a calmer sort of knowing. And maybe that's something that we can bring in, um, for our, our sensitive children too, that if they have this sort of clarity, like what your child did around uh, this preschool situation, that that's, that seems like a North star. That's not anxiety. That's not fear. That's not frantic. That's, Hey, this is what feels right versus, um, and, and it was the same thing actually with my kids, kid playing guitar where he was like, Hey, this is what I need. Um, I need to make this switch. And there were other moments, um, you know, in his, in his childhood where he has really dug his heels in and I could tell it was from a place of, of anxiety or fear that was, it was, if, if I could support him through it, 
he would actually build resilience and confidence on the other side of it. And reminding, I'm reminded of a time when I signed, he was interested in chess. I signed him up for a chess club and he was, he was probably the maddest I've ever, he's like, mommy, why did you do this? What? How could, like, he was furious. He was probably five, five years old, something like that. And I was like, whoa, like, I can't believe, he was so intense about it. And I, uh, but when I was able to understand, okay, this is a fear response. He was afraid he's going to be around a bunch of different kids. He's was real beginner at chess. Um, it ended up being like an outdoor class. It was during COVID quarantine. So we we're outdoors and it was a really small group of kids. And I ended up saying, you know what, mommy, you express interest. I already did sign you up. We are going to go. So I, I put a boundary there. I said, you know, this is happening, but like, you can sit on my lap. We can kind of sit like, you know, a few feet away from everyone else on the grass. And you don't need to, you don't need to participate the first time. You can just kind of watch and see how you feel. So that's to me, an example of sort of honoring the, um, honoring, I guess it's also a window of tolerance, but honoring his comfort level, but also saying, Hey, this is something that I need you to, to learn. I need you to expand your comfort zone. And, um, and that's great. great. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> That's so great. Just offering to be there with him and like, hey, you can, yeah. if, you're, if your child is little enough, you can sit on my lap yeah. or um, yeah. another, an example of like an older child, um, like my daughter was a, didn't feel comfortable going into dance alone <laughs> for a while when she started or going in and asking at the counter for something. So it's not that big of a deal. It is kind of annoying as you get crankier with multiple kids <laughs> you're like do I need to get out of the car like yeah I, if I didn't have to get out of the car you know I'm, I'm happy if I don't have to get out of the car but um but you can honor your kid it's not that big of a deal it's mm-hmm. an extra two minutes of your time to turn the car yeah. off and go in with your child and you you know you start something new it's a little thing but yeah. just try to think back to yourself when you were that age. And I mean, when I think back to myself at a lot of different ages, I just felt alone. That is the yeah. resounding feeling that I, that I had. Um, uh, and so that, that prevents me from, or I shouldn't word it that way. That encourages me to do a lot more things that I, I would prefer not to do because I, I want my kids to know that they're not alone and that I've got their back and you're, you've got your back, your kids backs, you know, to sit there and let them be, let them. And, and then also if your child came to you after that and said, yes, this is okay, but I don't think I like this very much. And I don't really want to keep doing it. If you didn't spend a million dollars to do it, like it's okay. No. You can let your, ch- let it go. So allowing them to quit something that they are no longer interested in or put something on hold. Yeah. Um, and I do that with myself too, because I, my go-to will be that if I sign up for something, I have to stick with it. I have to finish. I have to continue. I have to, you know, no <laughs> newsflash you're an adult, you can do what you want to do. Even if you paid for something and you don't get a refund, you can still quit it. You don't have to finish. So that's, (laughs) that's a freeing, that's a whole extra, a whole different podcast, but. Oh yeah. I totally resonate with that. I feel like I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm still on the process of learning that myself, but it's a, it's an important, it's an important lesson for highly sensitive people. So, well, let's, uh, before we wrap up, do you have any other sort of parting words of wisdom for highly sensitive parents or parents of highly sensitive children, either one who are looking to tap into their intuition. Um, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that's made a difference for me is giving myself the freedom not to make a decision right away. Um, I, I don't think I'm bad at making decisions. I think there's a, a tendency to put a label on, on yourself. Like, Oh, you, are you a bad decision maker? Are you slow decision maker? Like I, I'm a slow decision maker, but it's because I need all of the information I need to make sure, like, I don't like to fall on my face. I don't really enjoy failure a whole bunch. That's been something that I've had to like warm up to because you can't try new things without possibly (laughs) failing. And I do like new things. So, um, uh, so giving yourself that, that permission to, uh, I mean, I just had more than a year. Uh, I I had a very big blog that I built up over 14 years that was in the niche I did PR in. And um, it took me a lot of years of trying to listen to the intuition. Um, And for me, I'm I'm a Christian. So I feel the intuition also as like God's voice 
Mm. Um, and that sense of like connection with spirituality. So there's that sense too. Like if that piece fits for you, you know, you can be praying about the intuitive thoughts and feelings that you're feeling. And I don't think it's not been my experience that, that God will tell you something opposite to what your innate intuition feels and yep. your innate personality. Like those things would be congruous with one another. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, but I've just had like a really long period of time where I've been trying to seek out my own intuition, like to the point where I'm doing all kinds of things that I wouldn't normally do because it's like spaghetti, throwing spaghetti on the wall. And it's only been in the, the last couple of months where the pieces of the puzzle start coming together. And I see like, oh, I, I have been listening to the intuition. I've been trying to listen to myself. It's just slow. Like, yeah. decisions come slowly. Sometimes things don't always come together fast. And this can be true as we're like raising our kids and trying to be intuitive. Like you might have a child who doesn't really have any interest outside of school. Um, mm -hmm. and they don't really know what their interest, you know, and you might have questions like, how do I direct this kid? Or, you know, am I, am I there for them enough? I mean, all these questions just maybe sit with that tension and like hold whatever that question is that you need an answer to hold that like in your, in your chest. I, I worked through, um, some very traumatic things in therapy over the last uh, handful of years. And an image um, came into my mind as I was doing some of this work. And I even have a picture of this. So those of you who are on the video, it's a picture of a trophy, like a trophy cup, like a gold trophy cup. And um, the image that came to me was that my soul and my heart, and if you want to throw your gut in there too, you could, is like protected by this incredibly valuable gold, gold cup. Um, mm. and, and that nobody can permeate that. And that mm. it's my own sacred space to like, hold on to. So that's like where the intuition lies for me is mm. this very sacred space. Like even your partner can say things that aren't helpful. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. be careful how, how you bring them into that you know, um, wait until I found it. It helps if I kind of have things a little formulated before I absolutely <laughs> ask open-ended questions about yes. you know, giant things. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so that, you know, focus on your, your intuition as a part of who you are, you know, it's like your identity and your soul and how God created you. And it's like a very sacred, a very sacred thing. So uh, that would be my takeaway is like, you know, we each have the opportunity to like, listen to this intuition more and tap into ourselves more. And um, it's a huge blessing and honor that we even have this like ability. Yeah. Um, not a lot of, there are people out there who like, this is over there. This is not something that they think about. So uh -huh. we can like honor ourselves and at the same point, honor, honor our kids um, doesn't mean there won't be disappointment. Doesn't mean that we might choose to do something that backfires because <laughs> that's mm -hmm. life. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's permission given to you to make mistakes, but there's also a real, you know, when I think the image of the gold trophy or kind of like this uh, chalice or this protection almost, um, there's a, there's this sense of of protection and like, this is, this is, um, I'm allowed to feel this way and that the things that are coming at me, whether it's parenting advice or social media, uh, you know, figureheads that are, they're coming towards you. And the, this visualization of sort of like having a protection that says, you know what, that's okay for them. I don't need to judge, but what I am intuiting or the way that I choose to move forward as a person, as a parent um, might look different and that I can, I can honor that. I can, I can protect that and I can feel confident in, even if it, even if I stumble, even if I make some mistakes along the way that I can really trust and, and learn to make friends with my intuition and, um, my, my gut, my heart, my soul, like you said. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Make friends with, make friends with it. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. really nice. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for this enlightening conversation. I hope, um, I know I got a lot out of it just reflecting with a fellow parent and I hope that listeners, wherever they are on their parenting journey, I'm guessing we'll have people all over the spectrum from parents of infants to parents of teenagers and beyond that um, there's something for everybody here to really reflect on or to look forward to, or to 
to speak to them where they are right now. So thank you so much, Lauren, for joining um, us here at the Highly Sensitive Parenthood podcast today. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. What a great conversation. Thanks, Amy. And um, just before we head off, where can people um, find you if they want to connect with you? Um, So hspjourney.com is uh, where I write about sensitivity. And then laurenhunter.net is my author and coaching platform. And I blog there too. Awesome. Yes. And I can speak to HSP journey being a really valuable resource for um, highly sensitive people and um, lots of articles from various HSP experts and, and thinkers. So um, definitely recommend heading on over there if you get a chance. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on the highly sensitive parenthood podcast. For more resources, including our blog, toolkit, and online course for highly sensitive parents, visit highlysensitiveparenthood.com.